Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we revisit the old investment adage, sell in May and go away, discussing whether it's wisdom or whimsy, and if this year, markets will break the trend. With Miles Sherry, investment consultant, Luke Pierce, investment strategist, and Rob Smith, Head of Behavioural Finance. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello and welcome to this week's Word on the Street. No doubt everyone is very much looking forward to the extended early May bank holiday and it's a significant weekend for a few reasons really. Most will enjoy a day off on Monday, many also deem it to be the real start of summer, although the weather looks a bit questionable at the moment and it also brings with it the final episode of line of duty hopefully fans finally get to learn who on earth h is but will no doubt in reality be left with another annoying cliffhanger and yet more questions that's not the only question this weekend brings though as from an investment perspective the month of may is often spoken about as the time we should essentially look to reduce or sell our investments I'm sure some of you have heard of this before, but for those who haven't, there is essentially an old saying, which is to sell in May, go away, and don't come back until St. Ledger's Day, which is the last flat race event in the UK horse racing calendar and typically falls around the middle of September. So the rationale behind the adage is that the best returns for stock markets on average have historically come about between uh, October and the end of April. So some argue that investors should simply sit on the sidelines over the upcoming summer months. And it certainly grabs attention. Uh, I expect it may be discussed even more this year, given the very positive returns we have generally seen so far across stocks year to date. So we thought this would be an interesting topic to unpick today. And to do so, I'm joined by Luke Pierce, one of our investment strategists, and also Rob Smith, again, our head of behavioural finance. So Luke, let's kick off with you. Given we see articles in the financial news every single year about this, there must surely be at least some substance behind the saying. Yeah, uh, it does seem to be something in this, actually. So we did a bit of research uh, looking into this a couple of years back. And what we did was look at equity market performance across 20 different countries. So not just looking at the US or the UK, for example, but quite a few different countries. And then we split the year into different half year periods. So from May to October and then also November to April. And what we found was that the returns for November to April months, they had much higher equity returns on average than from May through to October. And it was on average one to two percent higher, depending on which country you looked at. So, yeah, if you look at this purely through a statistical lens, then yes, the sell in May effect does exist. But we don't think it's an actionable investment strategy. And you know, I'm sure we can go on to discuss why in, in a bit. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept. And look, it's clearly very challenging, of course, to pinpoint exactly why the sell in May effect may actually occur. But perhaps, Rob, thinking about this, it could maybe in part be down to, say, behavioural reasons. So maybe if people hear about it every year, they then in turn feel the need to actually act on it. And so do end up selling their investments, perhaps thus creating the effect, essentially. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And this, you know, this effect was first noted back in like the early 1930s. And the original 
explanation was it you know behind it was that you know bankers and city workers all left the city in the summer months to enjoy their houses outside the city and you know horse racing and then came back in the in the autumn and and during that period you know not a lot went on and therefore you know returns weren't there to be had i think you know obviously where we are today from from you know the 1930s the world's changed a lot so the reality of does that hold any any real weight as as luke said you know there's no real clear statistical kind of evidence for for what's driving this whilst i think the important thing to to note a difference between is is correlation and causation so correlation being you know two things happening together or in some sort of relationship with each other versus you know one's having an actual causal effect on on the other and we just don't we don't see any real causation within within the data and it's very hard to try and sort of find those causes to your point what we do know is that narratives and the power of narratives uh, is very strong so you know if you start hearing stories you know it helps us to to kind of make sense of the world and make sense of these kind of data points that that may not have a huge amounts of causation but but it helps like i said it helps us to make sense of the world and therefore they can to some extent be self-fulfilling so you know if we think there's a reason behind something then that can that can end up you know affecting our decision making and, and driving the behavior which then you know, actually creates this effect if everyone did believe it and was selling you know at certain times of the year then that would obviously play into this but it still doesn't make it necessarily a sound basis for an investment decision because you know like many timing strategies where you're trying to work out when's the best time to kind of go in the market they can work well until they don't and by that, what I mean is, you know, if we don't know what's underpinning that relationship, we don't really know when it's likely to change um, and how it's likely to change. And therefore, you know, building a long term you know, investment basis on that is, is, is can be quite, quite dangerous. Absolutely. And of course, it certainly wouldn't have worked for you last year, although I know you'll probably say that I'm displaying recency bias, shall we say. But in all seriousness, look, this is, of course, all just about averages. It doesn't mean the effect will happen every single year and luke we've established that there is something in this based on the work that you said you and the wider team have done so the natural question our clients and listeners will surely have is whether this is actually taken into account when making decisions where to ultimately invest our clients money and if not why why that is yeah a very very valid question the answer is no we don't factor it into our investment process uh, and there's really two main reasons for this so you know, first, while we've, you know, as we've talked about, equity returns were much higher between November to April, they were still on average positive between May and October. So it's not like you were avoiding a negative return, you were just getting a, a less positive one. So if you were uninvested during those months, again, on average, you still would have missed out on returns. Uh, and the second point, and I think this is probably more important for us, and Rob's talked uh, about this as well, is there's still, in our minds, hasn't been a very credible reason put forward for why that anomaly exists in the first place. And whenever you're thinking about these you know, so-called anomalies, you really want to have a, a very credible and a very reasonable argument for why it, it exists to begin with. And that's so that you can be confident that it will persist. And it's not just some kind of statistical fluke. You know, it's very, very easy nowadays with the vast amounts of data that we have at our fingertips and the analysis and processing power that we have to just stumble upon these statistical flukes and then sort of re-engineer or, or come up with a narrative as to why it works. So, yeah, it, it's a little bit of a mystery. It's a little bit perplexing, I must admit, but it's, it's not something that, that we take seriously at all in our investment process. And we would strongly discourage others from investing on this basis, too. 
okay, makes sense. But given the recovery in share prices we saw last year since the, since the lows back in March and the positive start to markets generally this year, I'm sure many will argue that maybe this is something we really should consider this time around. I know we talk about the outlook quite regularly on this podcast and also get Will, our CIO, on. But what's the latest thinking? Because it's surely important to add some context around those positive returns we've seen. A lot of that, I expect, is likely justified, right? And it's also important to remember that there are still some differences in, say, regional and sector returns as well. Yeah, absolutely. So stocks have certainly had a good run so far for our year to date. Um, but we don't see this as you know anything to do with, with the selling May effect. We see this much more as a reflection of the positive economic momentum that we've seen so far this year, but also investors you know, uh, expecting a much brighter economic outlook ahead for, for the rest of this year and, and kind of even beyond that as well. As, as you mentioned, there is still a bit of divergence regionally. So if we look at the US, for example, they are a little bit further ahead in their recovery, given the enormous amount of government spending, plus also just general strong progress on the vaccination rollout there. Europe and the UK are a little bit further behind in that recovery story. But if you look at some of the higher frequency data in the UK, uh, and by higher frequency, I mean a sort of non-traditional economic data like restaurant bookings or mobility data, for example, that data is showing early but encouraging signs of that economic recovery ahead for the rest of the year. And actually, the pace of vaccinations is increasing in Europe too, which again is positive news after a bit of a slow start earlier on in the year. That said, we are seeing new infection waves in a number of countries, including, you know, unfortunately, the likes of India and Japan. And actually, there are still relatively high infection rates in, in regions like Europe uh, and also in countries like Brazil. And that means we have seen COVID infection rates rise in recent weeks globally. And so while economic data generally in, in what I would call core economies has, has generally been strong, and I think it's certainly pointing in, in the right direction, we do need to be mindful here that there aren't any foregone conclusions in, in terms of that economic recovery ahead. Absolutely. Rob, let's maybe come back to you again, because from an emotional perspective, this very understandably really is still quite tricky to grasp because after all traditional wisdom when investing is effectively to try and buy low and then sell high so investing now or maybe staying invested while some markets hover around near all-time highs seems very very counterintuitive to that particularly as we're saying given on average returns over the summer months are typically lower so what words of comfort can you maybe offer here acting on emotion and impulse I suppose, may sometimes feel like the right thing to do, but maybe equally, it could potentially sometimes be dangerous for long-term investors as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first thing I say is, you know, our, our emotions, our emotional reactions, you know, they exist for a reason and our, and our Olympic system, which uh, is responsible for, for that, is proved, you know, very useful during our evolutional history. But you know, what we need, what's important is to understand the emotion and the emotional reaction from sort of some of the present what we call stimulus so you know whatever it is that's creating that reaction and the impact that potentially has on on whatever it is you're trying to sort of answer which in our case is you know talking about long-term investment and making good investment decisions and given the roller coaster of the last kind of year there's even more reasons why investors might and savers might be wary of investing further or getting invested for the first time you know there's something 
that's very common is is gambler's fallacy, which is you know the idea that markets have gone up over the, you know since the the fall last March and and have done very well, so therefore surely we're due you know we're due a downturn. But the reality is that you know the economic environment and, and the investment markets don't necessarily work like that. It's not you know just because we've had an up doesn't mean we're definitely going to have a down. It you know it depends on the prevailing um, sort of circumstances. And I guess the thing to really think about is, you know, if you have a mindset that's worried about market highs being an issue, and the first thing to talk about is the fact that because of the long-term trend of investment markets kind of upwards, we actually spend a lot of time in in all-time high territories. Um, Therefore, you know, you'll spend a lot of time worrying whether, you know, now is the right time to get invested. And the outcome of that might will be, could be waiting and you want to wait till potentially prices drop and, and, and think that's a better time to get invested, especially if there's, you know, some commentary about, you know, potentially infection rates going up, what's the path of new variants of, of coronavirus, et cetera, that were also playing kind of into the economic outlook at the, at the moment. But the problem with really doing that is you have to wait for that, for that correction, that fall in markets to come. And the reality is it, it may not come for a while, it may not come for years or decades. And so all that time you're sort of sitting out in the market, sitting in cash markets are are moving upwards and that makes it even harder to to get back in then later in time because there's also that regret of you know i've missed out surely now we've gone up more it's even less likely they're going to go up in the next year and actually more likely they're going to go down yeah absolutely and just going back to our current thinking luke you've touched on the outlook but we currently hold more developed stocks in our shorter term allocation so that tactical asset allocation we've discussed many times on this podcast before compared to our longer term strategic asset allocation. And I just picked up that last week, Will, our CIO, acknowledged in a piece he wrote that the outlook for stocks may have weakened a tad. And as you said, we're by no means out of the woods in terms of this pandemic yet. But that doesn't just mean we should just go and sell everything, does it? No, absolutely not. And you know, as we talked about before, stocks have had a pretty good run so far year to date. And if we look at other measures of investor sentiment, they have also been creeping higher as well too. But I think here it's really, really important to distinguish between the the tactical asset allocation and also our strategic asset allocation. So you know, we, we firmly believe that taking a longer term approach to investing, having a portfolio that is sensibly diversified across several different asset classes, many different regions and across different industries as well. You know, importantly, as, as Rob alludes to, you know, one that you can stick with during tough times, that gives you a much better chance of success and achieving your investment goals than persistently trying to dodge the next downturn or trying to avoid every kind of dip that, that you might sort of come across in, in markets. And that's really what our strategic asset allocation is, is designed to do and try and achieve. Now, in the short term, we do believe there there are times, and they're, they're few and far between, but we do believe there are times where risks are out of kilter with the potential rewards on offer. And what we will do there is we will make very small tilts towards assets where we see more value in the short term and tilt away from assets where we see less value. So that's really what we're trying to capture with, with the tactical asset allocation. But the key difference here, I think, in my eyes, is your confidence that you can have in whatever short-term outlook you have, be it positive, you know, be it negative or, or somewhat neutral, it can never be so high as to constantly be making huge changes 
to your asset allocation. And that's you know why I mentioned in, in our shorter term outlook, we only ever make very small tilts to the portfolio. And that's not to try and interrupt that longer term investing story and ensuring that investments can compound over the long run. So I think that there's probably two key takeaways in amongst all of that. So as Rob's already talked about, all-time highs should not be a deterrent for long-term investors, just getting invested and, and staying invested. All-time highs, again, as Rob's talked about, it doesn't mean that a pullback is, is suddenly imminent. And the second point, which is, is kind of related, is that we, we still see expected returns on offer for multi-asset portfolios as still attractive, particularly when you consider you know, the alternative. We, we need to remember that that asset allocation and investing is is a relative game. And if your opportunity cost is is sitting in cash, which for, for most UK-based investors will be pretty much around 0% or, or certainly um, something close to that, that is a real big opportunity cost for holding cash over a multi-asset portfolio right now. Very well said. And that relative return point is also so, so important because we all know there is an element of risk in investing. Of course, there is. And that's why we try to control that by being sensibly diversified. But flipping this on its head, Rob, you can equally perhaps argue that not investing now, and Luke sort of touched on this, is also a risk in itself. Because if you are sitting on extra cash that you have no explicit need for over the long term, then you're pretty much getting zero return on that. And as Einstein famously said, compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. So with interest rates likely remaining close to zero, for some time in the UK, when you then also add any possible inflation into the mix, the real value of your cash will likely fall as that inflation compounding starts to work against you. So sitting in cash or selling now to try and time the market may feel comfortable, but then it's also always very much an emotional struggle to actually get back in, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. And I think just just on that note, on the, on the compounding, it's something that I think is interesting because we find it very difficult to really understand the effects of compounding, especially over longer term timeframes. And just to, I guess, really explain it, you know, compounding is, is the effect where essentially if you're thinking about a return, you get a return in the first year and then the following year, you're going to get a return on your original investment plus the bit of extra return you got in that first year and so on. And obviously that, that sort of scales up as you go forward in time. And that, that's the same for returns for an investment return. But also when we're talking about inflation, and how how much the spending power of whatever money you have is essentially being eroded into the future. It works in the in the same way. Those that it's just it, rather than it being a, a return, it's kind of you know it's a reduction. And so, if we think about five percent annual return, now if I said to you over ten years, what's a five percent annual return on on an amount of money? Quite often, our brains would just automatically go, okay, five. 5%, 10 years, 50%, something like that. But the reality is it's it's 64% because of the effect of the returns on, on those returns. And if you take that out to 20 years, right, 20 years of 5% returns isn't 100%, it's 165%. So as, as your time frame goes out, it kind of goes up in magnitude. And that's something that's really important because that's the same for inflation. So anyone saving for the long term, inflation is a real risk. No matter what you do with your money, your, you know, the spending power is being eroded. And the difference is, you know, you're putting into investments, there's uncertainty, of course, but the expectation is you're hoping to outperform inflation. So you don't lose the real value of your money. But obviously, sitting in cash with cash rates as they are so low at the moment, the reality is that that inflation is going to erode the real value of, of any money you have. And it's this kind of what we call a, what I call a silent killer, because it's, 
you know, we normally see, you don't really see inflation, especially on an everyday basis. It's just over the course of you know, five, 10 years, you notice how much the price of your pint of milk's gone up, but it doesn't really strike us until it's kind of too late. So sitting in cash can be very comforting and give us comfort that there's not much uncertainty, but the reality is you, you potentially are still losing out through inflation, just, just as you might be if you were investing. You talked about the ease of of uh, simply selling to cash and then getting back in the market later. And if we come back to this whole sell in, sell in May and go away, the reality is if you move all to cash and you have you somehow have all the confidence in the world that things are going to get worse, then getting back in can be really difficult. And it just depends on what's going on at the time. You know, if, if, if you wait and markets fall, in theory, you say, okay, well, that's a good time for me now to get in. But if markets are falling, by definition, you'll be investing when sentiment is probably low. You know, news about the economy and the markets is, is not good. Um, and it is very difficult to invest in, in those times. So it's then easy to say, well, I'll just wait until things start to get better. And you can see how that kind of <laughs> cycle goes on and on. But, but even if we don't see that drawdown in the markets, we don't see any falls in the markets and you're sitting there in cash, it actually can still make it difficult to get back in at some point because, as I said before, you know, you kind of have that regret of, oh, I should have got back in and when I was thinking about it the first time, but I haven't. And so that can make it more difficult and, you, you know, it might be easier to convince yourself that, oh, actually, this downturn is definitely coming now because we've had another few months or, or whatever it is of, of positive returns. I think the real takeaway is as, as a long-term investor, there are, I guess, much more important things to, to look at and think about than this adage of going away during the summer months. Things that Luke's been talking about, you know, vaccines, cases, you know, variants, you know, economic data. And, and that's the stuff that, that Luke and, and the wider investment team are, are looking at, you know, constantly to try and inform our view on, on what's going on in the markets and take those small tilts rather than some big uh, move of our portfolios to some long term or or long ago derived uh, sort of myth <laughs> yeah exactly and as you say getting back in is always easier said than done so look the summary here there is something in the old saying but it's certainly not an approach that we would recommend given the points you've heard from luke and rob today market timing is extremely hard to get right long-term investing in our view is all about trying to ignore the short-term noise and focus on your long-term aims with a portfolio aligned to the risk that you are both happy to take, but also have the ability to take. We'll wrap it up there. Enjoy the extended weekend. And if you are out and about on Sunday night and a fan of Line of Duty, do make sure you stay away from your phone and social media. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.